0: It's a great delight to be with you today and to share as part of your relationship series on the power of one. The focus today is on singleness. And I want to share with you two pieces of advice and uh, two ideas about singleness. And this advice also is hopefully very relevant for married people as well. so, So don't tune out just because you're part of a partnership. But why don't we pray? Lord, we thank you for this time we dedicate it to you. Lord, I ask that uh, you use these words, but also that our hearts be open for you to speak to each one of us today. In your name we pray. Amen. So what does the Bible say about singleness? Well, it has a lot to say, but also not much, in that the Bible addresses all of us as people. It addresses all of us as part of the family of God. So whether you're married or single or widowed or divorced or single again, you're part of God's family and the Bible speaks to you. So the Bible is a message for all of us. But there are some specific sections within the Bible that talk about relationships and talk about key issues in the community, which includes singleness. And it was a key issue in ancient times and it's a key issue today as well. In Australia, approximately 40% of households are single adults, either a single adult living on their own, a single parent, so 40%, and that doesn't even include group households of single people or adult kids living with their families, so it's actually quite a large percentage of our community in Australia that are single, and yet we never really hear much about it at church, do we? But yet it's such a crucial topic now, one of the sections in the Bible that specifically addresses relationships is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And it's written, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the early church in Corinth, which was located in ancient Greece. And 1 Corinthians 7 or 1 Corinthians is part of a conversation between Paul and the church in Corinth. And so we're hearing Paul's response to their questions about relationships. Now, there are many similarities between our world today and the ancient world but there's also a lot of differences so if we want to know more about what a passage is saying it does help to understand a little bit of the background. One of the things we know in ancient Greece was that they had a system of thinking called dualism and in dualism they kind of categorized the world into two boxes. The physical which was you know the the physical appetites, food, sex, all those different things and then the spiritual, or the, the soul, the, the intellect, things that are not physical. And they considered the, the phys- physical to be bad, sinful, even evil, and the non-physical to be good. And so the ideal person was someone who could rise above their physical appetites and become the ideal person. We'd kind of consider them a bit super-spiro, but you know, the, the idealism of the intellect and, and things like that. And so that's what's going on in their thinking that Paul is addressing. And that actually overflowed to their relationships. Because in their quest to be ideal people and spiritual people in ancient Corinth, they were refusing marital relationships. They were even divorcing to be more spiritual. And so Paul's trying to address some of the questions that they have. I mean, our society has kind of gone the other way, isn't it? We emphasize physical relationship. We You know, you're you're measured by your body beautiful, or your hotness, or your scorability, or whatever that might be. But we see in in ancient Corinth they were really prioritising sort of the super spiritual. And as new believers, they'll bring in this Greek ideal into their relationships. And so Paul's wanting to address that. It was a bit of a mess, and they had a lot of questions for him. So in 1 Corinthians chapter seven, verses eight to nine. Paul says, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry because it's better to marry than to burn with lust. So we see that Paul's identifying himself with this group. We don't really know that much about Paul. We don't have a lot of kind of biographical details, but this is one of the only hints we get in the Bible about his personal life. And the hint is that he was married, but probably is now a widow, widower. Uh, And so Paul, it was normal for Jewish men to to be married. It was sort of arranged, uh, arranged marriages were normal back then, and it was sort of a civic duty. So Paul probably once was married, but now is single. And so if he was around today, he'd probably be part of our singles groups which is a bit strange to think about, isn't it? But anyway, his message to those who are widowed, and this might include some divorced people, so anyone who was married but now is not and probably doesn't have kids, his encouragement to them was that they should stay single. But he says, if, if you're struggling with your sexual drive, then you should probably think about getting married. He then goes on to say in verse 17, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. And remain as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. In other words, whatever your situation is, be content. If you're single, be content in your singleness. If you're married, be content in your marriage. Or another way of saying this is bloom where you are planted. And Paul then goes on to specifically address singleness, which was mostly young people. So for all of you young people here, here's a message that you can take heed of. He gives these instructions from his own wisdom and his own experience. He says in verses 32 to 35, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking, about how to please him, how to please the Lord. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. And all the women said, amen. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. And all the men said amen is. Yes. <laughs> I'm saying this for your benefit, Paul says, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever helps you to serve the Lord best. Let me repeat that. I want you to do whatever will help you to serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So Paul encourages us to use our own discernment to best serve God. Use our own discernment, whether married or single, in how we can be serving God in our current state and being content in that. So Paul's advice to the new converts in Corinth is that it's better to stay in whatever state they are, in this case, in the unmarried state. But if they choose to marry, then it's not a sin because of this dualistic thinking that they had. But for Paul, the priority is about doing the work The Lord. So, with this in mind, I want to talk about two ideas of the power of one, and then I've got two pieces of advice. First of all, one has greater freedom. Paul's argument here is that when a person is unmarried, they have greater freedom. A single person has more potential, not always, but more potential to give their time, their focus, their energy to doing the Lord's work than what perhaps a married person has who has lots of other earthly responsibilities. So Paul's identifying really a key advantage of singleness. Marriage, family, whether that's children or even elderly parents or whatever that might look like, you know, they, they can distract us from doing and take a lot of time, energy and focus from doing the Lord's work. And this is especially true because Paul considered the time short. So he said, we've got to build the church now. There was an urgency in his writings to getting out there and witnessing, building the local church and seeing the church flourish and that being the focus for for all all people as part of the congregation. And so there's greater potential if you are single to have the freedom to direct your energy, direct your time, direct your focus, into doing the work of the Lord. You don't have to consult other people's schedules. You don't have to pick up the kids from soccer or whatever that might be. So Paul's concern is about freedom for mission. Richard Hayes says, greater freedom doesn't mean you have no restrictions and that you can do whatever you want. Christian freedom says that my freedom is for the purpose of serving God and my neighbour. Like Paul, I can also testify to, from my own experience and my own life, uh, of the advantage of the freedom that singleness brings. I'm also single and like Paul, I've had the privilege to travel all over the world, uh, following open doors of, of opportunity. And I could do this because I wasn't tied down to those earthly responsibilities. Um, When I was 40, uh, I moved to Turkey and uh, had to learn a whole new language, had to learn to live in a community, was involved in church planting as part of ACCI for for several years and then obviously in the last couple of years have have been back in Australia. But all these different opportunities I've been able to take uh, at all different ages, all different periods and seasons in my life because of, I guess, the advantage, the power of one. One also is a whole number recently my great great niece so my brother's granddaughter she turned one and it was this big build-up she was 10 months 11 months and finally she turned one and it was this big celebration uh, and finally she reached a whole number a whole number is the one that we count with and of course we start with the number one and you might be thinking where is she going with this? (laughs) But this is important for both married and single because our culture tells you that you are not whole, that you're only a half. You're half and when you meet your other half, you're whole. And you're not whole until you meet your other half. And even worse, if you're divorced or you have lost a loved one, then you were a whole and now you're reduced to only a half. That's what our culture tells us. You're not whole, you're a half. But that's not what the Bible says. Genesis 1 1, (laughs) tells us about the origins of humanity, that we were made in the image of God, male and female, and all people are deserving of respect and dignity. God created each one of us as a single entity. Yet one of the great mysteries is how we are one but that also we're made in the image of God. So we're not God, but we're like God. How are we like God? We're like God in that each one of us was created for community. You may have heard of the creed, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. One plus one plus one equals one. And there's all different ways we can understand this great mystery of the unity of the Triune God. But one of my favourites is uh, an idea that comes from the Cappadocian Fathers. It's a region in Turkey, not far from where I lived, and it's called Perichoresis. And it's the idea of an eternal dance. That is, the three members of the Trinity, the three ones of the Trinity, are dancing in such a unity. Imagine three people kind of in a synchronised manner, dancing together with such intention toward the other, with such harmony that they are one. And that's a picture of what God gives us. He is three in one. And the amazing thing is that God invites us to join that dance. So you never have to dance through life alone. God is with you. In 1 John chapter 4 verses 15 to 16 it tells us if if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And also we know and rely on the the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So our wholeness is found in God. Now Genesis 1 tells us about the origins of humanity and Genesis 2 continues that, but it also gives us the origins of marriage and family. And uh, the great kind of build up is when the man meets the woman and he says, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And they will be called, uh, two will become one. And so again, it's not two halves becoming a one, it's one plus one equals one. You are a whole person, whether you are married or single, widowed, divorced. You are a whole person. You are not a half. Don't swallow that lie that our society tells us. You are a whole person created in the image of God, worthy of all dignity and respect. Of course, that wholeness has been marred by sin, but it's Jesus that restores us to that fullness rather than it being found in another relationship And so my first piece of advice is: don't make idols out of relationships. Continuing that thought, Hollywood sells us a lie that you're not complete until you are in a a committed, a a relational you know, a a marriage-type relationship. And we hear all the time the, you know, the big finale of a rom-com: "You complete me," or or some line like that. But if and and if as though you're looking for a partner, whether future or in the married state ready to, to complete you in some way. My sister likes to remind me, if you're not enough without someone, you're not enough with someone. I think she got that from someone else, but it's a great phrase, isn't it? Great line. But not only that, our culture create, uh, equates sexuality with the sexual act. I know this is a bit intense for a Sunday morning service, but bear with me, that our society tells us that passion and love can only be expressed by making love. And if you can't make love, then you're not able to have love. Or if you can't perform the sexual act, then you're denying your sexuality. But that's actually not true. True passion is is about an orientation towards God. Again and again, in the Bible, we see passages that talk about desire for God and yearning for God. And that's the true orientation, which all sexuality is, is takes and, and should be orientated towards. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God, says the Psalmist. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So passionate desire puts Christ in the center it displaces the idols in our life and an idol is anything that sets itself up uh, in contrary to god and so passionate desire directed towards god can then overflow into our relationships and of course into our most intimate relationships that are in such as in marriage that are incredibly enhancing but don't complete us all of our relationships as well and part of the challenge for singleness is how do we express our passion uh, in the community of which god has placed us in a way that's pure and not sexualized like what the world tends to do with all kinds of relationships and pretty much anything doesn't it it sexualizes you know bag of chips or something like just you know learn to be pure in our relationships and this is important because for many of us our biggest fear is loneliness Of course, it's challenging when you arrive by yourself at a party or or an event, or if you're eating at a restaurant by yourself, as as any business traveller will attest. But marrying someone out of fear of being left on the shelf or being alone and never dealing with the insecurity in our lives about the fear of loneliness is a great travesty. Some of the most lonely people I know are married. And so don't put idols in relationships. Don't make relationships an idol, that it becomes the the solution to our problems. Instead, direct our passion towards God. And the second point is live your best life now. Single or married, it doesn't matter. Live your best life now. Getting back to the message of Paul, bloom where you are planted. Follow your passions and your calling now. Do what's right, right now, not waiting for Mr. or Ms. Right. Do your right, do the best life now. Discern your life, what you should be doing. Not following others, not just comparing yourself, but doing what God has called you to do in the now. And that takes courage to step into something unknown, something new on your own. If you're single and you have a dream to be married, a dream delayed is not a dream denied. But don't, de- don't delay your life waiting for that dream to happen. Don't deny your life waiting for a future relationship to come to fruition. Instead, seize the day. Be responsible today with your finances. Be responsible with your resources. Be content now. It's a choice. And if you're struggling with that, I encourage you to to reach out in prayer uh, to God, to others, to help you to learn contentness, to learn shalom and peace in this journey. As I mentioned before, our completeness is only found in God. God reached out to demonstrate his love for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for each one of us. He rose again so that we could have new life in him. And it's only in relationship with God that we find our true completeness.